right, good morning. Great to see all of you here this morning. Welcome to Connect, especially if it's your first time or your uh, uh, visiting here. We are, um, as Andy said, in this series called Our House, and maybe you uh, kids of the 80s there were kind of tapping your foot to the, uh, the madness intro, but uh, it's been a great series over the last four weeks, and what we've done is we've kind of used this, the house as a metaphor for the relationships in our lives. So uh, if you are here for the first time, it doesn't matter that you've missed the first three. You can go back and watch them online if you like or through our app. But each week was kind of a standalone message as we looked at different parts of the house that represent different relationships in our lives. So we actually kicked off the series by talking about the front door, how uh, it's important that a house has a front door. Um, It keeps the bad guys out and keeps the cats out. In. So you want to have a front door that you can keep closed. Um, and it kind of in this context of the relationships of our lives, sometimes it's good to have um, some boundaries in place, a front door. You know, there are some relationships that we want to throw the door wide open and say, come on in, because it's a life-giving relationship. It's those people that we just love spending time with. But, but sometimes, you know, we, we may need to close the door and say, you know, this, this, this relationship is kind of bringing me down. It's actually causing me to, to, to live differently than I want to live. So having a front door is important when it comes to relationships. And then the the second week, we moved up to the kids' room, and uh, we talked about the fact that whether you're a parent here this morning, or a grandparent, or an uncle, or an aunt, or a coach, or a teacher, or a volunteer here in Connect Kids, every one of us has the opportunity to impact the life of a child. And how it's not just the, the parent's responsibility. We can all make a difference in the lives of kids in our lives. We can all make a difference um, for God in the lives of kids in our lives. So we talked a little bit about the kids' room. Then last Sunday, we moved upstairs to the bedroom. And we talked about the most intimate relationship in our lives and what the bedroom represents. And... um, This wasn't a topic that I was going to tackle all on my own, so I got the amazing Casey Jane, my wife, to come and join me on stage. Yeah, and she is, uh, she's the brains of the outfit, so she definitely uh, uh, brought some great input last Sunday. But we find ourselves today wrapping up the series in the dining room. We're going to talk this morning about the dining room. Now, this morning, this isn't going to be a message on what we eat. I know the dining room is where we eat, but I'm not going to talk this morning about what we eat in this message. Believe me, I am the last person you want teaching on what we eat, okay? I came across this Instagram post this week, and this kind of sums me up. I hate when I think I'm buying organic vegetables, and when I get home, I discover they're just regular donuts. So that's kind of how shopping... I go with this intention of being healthy, and I come back with a bag of donuts. So, um, so really, you don't want me being the voice of what and you should or shouldn't eat in your life. No, when we say the dining room, when I'm saying we're going to talk about the dining room this morning, we're actually going to talk about um, the relationship that the dining room represents. Because the dining room is kind of special, isn't it? There are certain kinds of relationships, um, the people that these relationships represent in the dining room of our lives. They're the people that we eat with in this room. You see, the dining room is not where you just sit and eat your lunch or sit and eat your breakfast. Uh, If you've got a dining room in your house, you probably save that for when company comes and you sit up at the breakfast counter to eat your breakfast or you sit in front of the TV to eat your lunch. But when you've got some friends over that you want to have kind of a bit of a deeper dialogue, a, a more intense or more intimate conversation, that's what the dining room is for. 
It's reserved for those special friendships, not just those acquaintances that many of us have. Let me give you an example. I, uh, uh, the road I live on, I have a neighbor, uh, and his backyard backs up to my backyard. So it's basically, you could walk off my deck and just walk and cross our entire yard, mine and his, right up to his deck. In fact, there's no fence or anything like that. You wouldn't even know where my yard ends and his yard begins, other than the fact that because he cuts his a lot more regularly than I do, his is always the neater, shorter yard. There's like a very clear line where mine ends and his begins. But, but we, uh, um, I, my neighbor knows me, but he doesn't know me. Do you know what I mean by that? Okay, he knows me, but he doesn't know me. If you were to ask him if he knows Dave Jane, he'd say, yeah, I know Dave Jane. But what that really means is he knows stuff about me. He knows, for example, that I have a wife and three children. Um, He knows because we both cook out on our uh, decks there, so he probably knows that I like my burgers uh, completely burned on the outside and raw in the middle. Somehow that's the way they always end up getting cooked. But he's never actually just sat in my dining room and really kind of got to know one another. Maybe you've got friends on Facebook like me, dozens of friends where sometimes you're, you're looking at a picture on Instagram or Facebook and you're thinking, how do I know this person again? You may have some friends and, and just because they're your friends on Facebook, that means they know you, but they may not really know you. You see, a dining room relationship looks a lot different than the casual acquaintances in our lives and on our social media platforms. 2,000 years ago, a man by the name of Jesus came and walked this earth and did some incredible things. And fortunately, thanks to um, people like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have these great accounts of his life. These were these these four individuals that wrote what happens during Jesus' life. So we can read through and we can read about the miracles that he performed. We can read the the great teachings, the, the events that took place in his life. And we can also read about the relationships that he had. Because he had a lot of different relationships. In fact, Luke tells us about some of these relationships. One of the authors, Luke, and we're going to look at that this morning in Luke chapter 5. It starts out by telling us this about Jesus. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Now, I wonder if we could go back in time and just pull one of those people out of that crowd that Luke's talking about and bring them here onto the stage today. And we could, we could kind of say, hey, you know, I read about you. You were part of that great crowd that gathered to hear Jesus speak on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Do you know Jesus? That person might say, yes. Yeah, I know him. He's tall guy, beard, white robe. They might know who Jesus was, but I don't know that they would really know Jesus if they were just a part of the crowd. There was an old movie, a Monty Python movie called The Life of Brian, and there's a scene in this movie, it's kind of a a silly scene, but it's portraying what it must have been like to have been in a crowd at the time that Jesus was speaking. And it shows this moment where Jesus is speaking the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. A very famous line from um, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. You see these two guys at the back of the crowd saying, what do you say? And one of them says, I think he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. (laughs) And then this conversation ensues as to, well, why are the cheesemakers blessed? What about the other dairy makers? I think they're blessed too. And they start having this whole conversation about who's blessed and who isn't in the dairy industry. But the the scene kind of illustrates that if you were a part of a crowd a long way off, you may not hear clearly or fully understand what Jesus was talking about. 
You see, the crowds, they would have known Jesus. They would have known who he was. They may have even known and understood what he taught. But the crowd wouldn't be able to say that they had a dining room relationship with Jesus. Now, having said that, there were some amongst that crowd who developed a deeper relationship with Jesus, who drew closer to him in those three years that he spent teaching and traveling around that area. In fact, just a few verses later in Luke chapter 5, we learn of one of those friendships that began. It's actually a friendship that began with a very unlikely individual. It says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. This is Jesus speaking to Levi. Follow me and be my disciple. So Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. So Levi, we know that he was a tax collector, and we know that in Jesus' time, tax collectors were despised people. Now, have you ever heard a, a pastor or a preacher say that before? You know, back in Bible times, tax collectors were despised people. That always kind of makes me chuckle, because it makes it sound like, you know, today we just love them. Tax collectors, they're, they're great. The truth is, and I apologize if you work for the IRS this morning, you know, tax collectors still aren't probably the most popular of people, but, but back in Jesus' time, they were particularly despised, and this is why. So there was a, a group of people living in this region, they would all have been Jewish people, and the tax collectors would have been fellow Jews who had been recruited by the Romans, who were kind of ruling over the Jews at this time. The Romans had recruited these tax collectors to collect taxes to pay to Rome. So already they were kind of looked down upon, they were kind of not popular people because they were the tax collectors of their day. But on top of that, their wealth, their income depended on what they could put on top of those taxes. So these Jews had this opportunity to tax their, their fellow Jews more than need be, and some of them quite a lot more. And they were able to get away with it because they had the entire might of the Roman army behind them. So they were able to do this, be a little bit unscrupulous. So because of this, tax collectors were just very unpopular people. In fact, in the eyes of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were extremely unpopular because they could actually point to an Old Testament law in Leviticus that specifically stated that what these tax collectors were doing was wrong in the eyes of God. And yet Jesus befriended him. Jesus decides to make friends with Levi. Jesus decides to invite him into that dining room relationship in his life. And it wasn't just Levi, the tax collectors, there was others. In verse 11, it says, and as soon as they landed, talking about some fishermen, they left everything and followed Jesus. There's that phrase again, they, they followed Jesus. These individuals, they began a dining room relationship with Jesus that would last the next three years of his public ministry. And these relationships were so deep that at the end of Jesus' life, when he was to be crucified, we learned that all the crowds that followed Jesus, they all dispersed. In fact, even a couple of his closest friends doubted and betrayed Jesus, but some of those dining room relationships that Jesus had formed, they stuck with him even as he was crucified. So thinking about this idea of dining room relationships, I want to ask you a question this morning. It's a very simple question, and it's this. Are you in the dining room with Jesus, or are you part of a crowd? Are you in the dining room this morning with Jesus, or are you just part of the crowd? To put it another way, are you a follower 
of Jesus this morning? If you had to look at your life this morning, would you say, are you a follower or are you merely an acquaintance? You see, here at Connect, we use this phrase, follower of Jesus, a lot. We actually use it a lot in place of the word Christian. There's nothing wrong with the word Christian, but sometimes uh, there's a lot of people who proclaim to be Christians who aren't really living Christ-centered lives. So it can bring a lot of baggage with it when you hear that word Christian. So we like the word follower of Jesus because it kind of indicates some kind of movement, some kind of life change, some kind of life development. If I'm following someone, you'd expect me to be behaving like that person, to be following the teachings of that person. So this morning... Would you call yourself a follower of Jesus? You might say, well, Dave, how do I know if I'm a follower or not? I mean, I come to church every Sunday. Does that make me a follower? You know, how do I know if I'm part of the crowd or if I'm really a follower of Jesus? How do I know if I've got that dining room relationship with Jesus? I think there's a couple of ways you can tell. If you were to kind of do a little bit of self-analysis this morning, I think there's a couple of ways that would really kind of help you diagnose where you're at. The first is this idea of, of the knowledge of Jesus. Are you familiar with what he teaches and believes? You see, my neighbor across the yard, he knows a little bit about me. We've chatted in the yard a bit. He knows I talk funny. He probably assumes I'm from Australia. I'm not from Australia. I'm from England. Um, He knows I'm a pastor. He knows about my family, but he doesn't really know me. He doesn't know what I'm passionate about. He doesn't know what my vision for life is. He doesn't know who I really am. You see, that level of relationship, that only really comes in the dining room, doesn't it? Those kind of friendships that you sit and have meals with, whether it's in the dining room or out and about, those, those kind of intimate, not just the neighbor across the yard who you're waving at, but the person who's in your home eating at your table. You may come here every Sunday, or you may come some Sundays, and you say, well, I know Jesus. I hear a little bit about him every Sunday. And yes, you'd hear a little bit about him, but only hearing a little bit doesn't necessarily mean you know him. In fact... Only hearing a little bit, only knowing a little bit, can be dangerous at times. I was out on a bike ride just this week, and uh, just here in town, I was coming down this street by the, uh, by the school here, heading down towards the office where I'd parked my van, and um, as I rode past one of these houses, and <laughs> this story's going to be even funnier for the person who lives in that house, is here this morning. Um, as I rode past one of those houses on my bike, going pretty fast, I glanced to my right, and I see this red wagon in the front yard just sitting up on the lawn, and uh, it was kind of like a nice radio flyer. It looked really nice. It had a sign that said that free... I was like, whoa, that's a really cool-looking wagon. I, I bet we could use that wagon. And even if we couldn't, I bet I could sell it and make some money. So um, <laughs> we were having a garage sale. So I'm like, hey, we could put it in the garage sale this weekend. So I get to the office. I put my bike in the, the van, and I, I drive back up here quick. So I'm like, that's a nice wagon. Someone's going to grab that wagon quick if it's free. So I get to the house. I pull up out front. I walk up into the yard, and I just grab this wagon. I wheel it all the way down to the road. And as I'm wheeling it, I'm looking. It's just full of earth. It's like just earth all spread out in this wagon. I'm like, why is all this earth in this wagon? If you're giving it away, at least dump the earth out first. But I'm like, hey, free wagon. You can't complain. So, uh, so I'm getting ready to dump the wagon and dump the earth. And as I tip it to the side, I, <laughs> some of you have already guessed where this story is going. Uh, as I tip it to the side, I look and the sign says, free dahlias, which I don't know what they are, D-A-H-L-I-A-S. There's some sort of plant of some sort. And... and <laughs> Yeah, at that point, I realized this wagon was just holding some free plants that have all gone now. They've all... <laughs> so now, 
Now, quickly, I have to wheel this thing back up into this person's yard, who I'm sure is looking out my window thinking, there's a guy stealing our wagon. He's just, he just grabbed the wagon. He's throwing. So if you're here this morning, sorry about that. It's a lovely wagon. And if you'll take five bucks for it, I'll take it. It's a good wagon. If it's free, better still. When you just know a little bit of the story... It can get you in trouble, can't it? When you just see free and miss the word dahlias. Am I even saying that right? I'm not a lens. No, I'm not, am I? Dahlias. <laughs> in England, they're dahlias, all right? So dahlias. Second service, they'll hear it as dahlias. When you only hear a little bit, it can get you in trouble. And here's the thing. If your only knowledge of Jesus is for an hour on a Sunday morning, you can hear some things and you can actually misinterpret and misunderstand some very key parts of who Jesus was and what he taught and what he believed. You can find yourself um, making statements or living a lifestyle saying, well, I think I heard him say this. And I think the, the pastor one Sunday said this, so I'm sure this is what Jesus, who Jesus is. When you're in the dining room, with Jesus. It's a relationship that's more than just an hour on a Sunday morning. It's one that goes deeper all week long. You're not just relying on what you hear in here. You're, you're leaning into him yourself. You're, you're learning through the Bible and through prayer and through books and through podcasts. And there's a, there's a side of you that wants to know more of Jesus. You want to grow in your relationship and your knowledge of who he is. That's what creates this dining room relationship with Jesus. If this morning you're wondering whether Jesus is in the dining room of your life, I would ask the question, how much time are you spending with him? Is it just this hour on Sunday morning or is there a relationship that's building through the week? You know, there was another thing that separated the crowd from the followers of Jesus, and that was the cost. There was actually a cost associated with following Jesus. We heard about it with Levi this morning, didn't we? That he, when Jesus said, follow me, he packed up his stuff and he left his career behind and off he went to follow Jesus. Career, family, friends, these disciples, they were leaving things behind to become followers of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying this morning that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to quit your job or leave your family behind. But when you spend time in the dining room with Jesus... You start to learn to love what he loves. You start to learn more about him and what breaks his heart. You start to learn about the lifestyle he led. And over time, you want to become more like him. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's saying, I want to follow this man because I want to become more like him. You start to want to love who he loves, to avoid the behavior that you know he knows is hurtful to you and me. And right there, you're faced with a cost. Do I carry on the way I always have? Or do I make some changes in my life? Do I give some things up? Do I, do I lay some things down? Do I do some things that maybe are a little bit harder than they used to be? But, but this is the cost of following Jesus. So you want to know if you have a dining room relationship with Jesus this morning? Followers of Jesus, they live differently. They speak differently. They treat others differently. That's a great measure of whether or not you're a follower of Jesus this morning or whether you're simply a guy across the yard who waves and says hi and knows who he is but doesn't really know him. As we work our way through our house and we look at all of these relationships in our lives, I want to challenge you as we close out this series with just this one thing this morning. Have you taken that step yet to follow Jesus? 
If you were to describe your relationship with Jesus right now, is it the neighbor waving and saying hi, or are you in the dining room with him, a place reserved for the most intimate of relationships in our lives? Because I've got to be honest this morning, as much as I've enjoyed speaking on this series, I hope and pray that over the last three weeks, you've learned something about relationships, about the kids in your life, about that intimate spousal relationship that you may have. And, and I hope and pray that some of you have made some changes or, or grown or learned a bit through this series. But if that's, that's great. But if you miss the importance of this morning's relationship, that relationship with Jesus, as great as it is to see those changes in those other relationships, this is the greatest relationship you can have in your life. In fact, those relationships will be enhanced if you get this relationship right. If Jesus is in the dining room of your life, it will have an impact on every other room in the house. But if, you're just a, if he's just a person in the crowd a long way off, you're missing out on something great this morning. Because here's the thing, he's not going to barge his way in. He's waiting to be invited into your dining room. Listen to what Jesus himself says in Revelation 3.20. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. He stood at the door of your house this morning knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is stood on the outside of your dining room saying, I want to be in there with you. I want to have that close relationship with you. But I'm not going to open the door myself. I'm not going to force my way in. I want to be invited into your life this morning. So it's just a real simple question this morning. Will you open the door? If you've not yet opened that door in your lives, will you open the door to Jesus this morning? And if you're not sure how, please reach out to Andy or me or a leader here at Connect or someone who brought you here this morning and just ask the question, send us a text message, send us a Facebook message. Just, just simply say, I, I want to open the door. I want to learn what it means to open the door. I want Jesus to be a part of my life. I don't want to be just waving across the way. I want to be in the dining room with him. It's the most important relationship in our lives. Now, I'm not done. Because some of you are sitting here this morning and thinking, you know what, I'm all right. He's in my dining room, so I'm okay. Uh, this, this message, I, I'm covered. But here's the thing. If we look back to that relationship with Levi, it didn't end there. It didn't end with just uh, that tax collector following Jesus. Look at what it uh, says happens here in Luke chapter 5, 29 through 31. It says, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law, they complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum, they said. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who think, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus very clearly explains, hey, listen, I'm not here for you. I'm here for them. I'm here for those people who, who need me, who, who, who I want to have a relationship with. And nothing's changed. His heart, as we sang this morning, that reckless love is still for those who are far from him. And here's the thing. Right after Levi encountered Jesus, he opened his dining room to his friends. 
He wanted them to meet the same Jesus that he had met. Now, this didn't go down well with the religious folks, did it? They looked on in, in judgment and, and anger. You see, they'd made it their mission to look down their noses at these kinds of people, to make sure they were aware just how far they had fallen short from the religious law. And now here's Jesus sat having a cheeseburger with them. Maybe it was a fillet of fish in those days. But he sat eating a meal. When it came to whose dining room Jesus hung out in, he actually started to get a bit of a reputation with the religious leaders of his day. Listen to what they said about Jesus. This is what they said about Jesus in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. He's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. These were the, the church leaders of the day talking about Jesus. But this is what I love about Jesus. It's that even though some of them, like Levi, did choose to repent and follow Jesus, it seems that Jesus himself would have accepted them as they were and was freely having dinner with them without requiring them to first clean up their lives. Jesus' ultimate goal was that, like Levi, these, these people would discover a relationship, a dining room relationship with Jesus. But it wasn't a prerequisite to come to the table. It wasn't a, hey, you clean up your act and you can come spend some time with me. That's what the religious leaders expected. But Jesus says, no, I want to spend some time with these people. So here's the question I'll ask you this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, it's a simple question. Who's in your dining room? Who's in your dining room this morning? Are you surrounding yourself with people who think the same way you do? Believe the same things you do? Or are you being intentional this morning at building bridges, forming relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus the way you know him? Because you know what? You may actually be the person that ends up introducing them to the Jesus that you've met. And for that to happen, it's more likely going to come out of a dining room relationship in your life than from that friend you've got who you kind of wave at across the yard. You may have to start building some relationships, inviting some people into, into your dining room, whether that's literally your dining room or out for a meal or sitting out on the back deck and uh, cooking out around the fire, whatever it may be, but start to build some relationships with those who don't yet know Jesus. Um, Case and I, we've... Uh, Aside from a few years, we worked up in Chicago um, with a church up in the suburbs of Chicago. We've lived here in Washington. We've worked at some different churches. We've always lived here in Washington. And uh, there came a point where my boys were starting to get old enough to play soccer. And uh, I was thrilled because I wanted them to play soccer, number one, because it's the greatest sport in the world. Uh, and number two, if there was any chance of me engaging with them anyway athletically, soccer was the only way it was going to happen. If you've seen me throw a baseball, you'll know that the rest of the American sports out there were never going to happen between me and them. So I was excited that Ben and Will started to show an interest in soccer. So we were looking for where to, you know, maybe a team to put them on. And I remember at the time, some friends of mine in a church, they said, you know, there's this great program. Um, there's this, this, this Christian league in Peoria and uh, our kids playing it and you should sign your kids up to play soccer in that. And they were, they were almost selling it on the benefit that we'd be playing alongside other followers of Jesus. Almost, if we play soccer in this particular group, it would keep us safe from hanging around the tax collectors and sinners. So we signed up with the Washington Park District. Because that place is full of sinners. I'm kidding. But 
intentionally, we were like, you know what? We don't want to go. This was just the, the and, and please don't hear this in any judgmental way. I, this was just for us in our value system, okay? I worked at a church. I didn't get to hang around with people outside of the church very often. All week long, the people I worked alongside, I could try and tell them about Jesus, but they all kind of knew him already. So they worked at a church as well, most of them. And um, so they knew Jesus. So I was intentional. I was like, I want some relationships outside of the church, I want to share what Jesus has done in my life with people who don't yet know him. So just using soccer as an example, we did that. Case and I, and we found that that some of these people, we started to really get close to and build some strong relationships with. Some of these people actually found their way into our dining room or at least a meal table somewhere. Some became some of our closest friends, our dining room friends. And over time, some of them learned how Jesus can make a change in their lives. And some of them now are following Jesus and hadn't before. And I realized, man, if I hadn't have stepped across the line and said, you know what, there's a certain comfort factor with being around people who think the way I do and talk the way I do and, and are into the same things as me. And, and sometimes it can be uncomfortable, but I just, I, I love what Jesus has done in my life so much that I don't want to keep it to myself. That's why I'm with Levi. You know, no sooner has he become a follower of Jesus that he's inviting all of his friends around for dinner. He's saying, you've got to meet this guy. And I wonder how many of us have that passion to say, you've got to meet this guy. You've got to see what he can do in your life. So it's a simple question, but who's at your dining room table? Jesus was accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And I wonder this morning if we are ever accused of the same. Gabe kind of alluded to this earlier. And sadly, this week, there's been some some high-profile suicides in the news. Even locally here as a church, we were made aware of a a teenager at Creefcore who he took his own life just 13 years old. That breaks my heart. And I know that there's a much larger complex issue with with situations like this. And it's not a simple fix. But I also know there's a lot of people who don't yet know Jesus who are looking for some answers. Who are looking for some hope, some meaning, some purpose. For an idea that there's someone who cares about them and loves them. And you know what Jesus does? That was his mission when he was on earth to tell as many people as possible who the church had kind of cast aside. That song we sang about reckless love, it was the reckless love of Jesus that drove him to reach these people. And he's still driving him today. But the most effective way of reaching those people is through us. We started Connect almost five years ago, and it was with the intention of reaching people who weren't yet followers of Jesus. We knew that new churches would reach new people, and we saw that happen soon after we launched And I want to tell you this morning that almost five years later, nothing has changed. Our vision is as strong today as it's always been that we want to connect our community to Christ. There are so many ways that we're able to accomplish this here at Connect. We we serve at Good Neighbor Days. We walk in the parade. We put on an event in the summer called Family Fun Fest. And these are all great ways to draw people in and to, to let them know about the church. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you began your journey at Connect Church. Maybe you began your relationship with Jesus because an event like that is something that drew you in. But ultimately, the most effective way of reaching our people, reaching our community for Christ, is through the relationships in our lives. It's through who's sitting 
at our dining room table. You know, next Sunday, we have Father's Day service. We have a cookout. This could be a great opportunity to invite a friend who knows you've come to church. Maybe you've invited them a few times. They're like, yeah, church isn't my thing. Well, well, next week, it's going to be so different. We're going to sit outside. You're going to get to eat hot dogs and hamburgers. Um, there's going to be beer. It's root beer, but just say beer, and they'll come. Um, <laughs> But it's just a great event to invite them along to. And, and we have those relationships. But sometimes we have to be intentional. So that's, that's how I want to kind of finish out this series on our house. We've talked about a lot of different relationships. But in closing this morning, as we kind of imagine the dining room of our lives, two really big questions I want you to leave with this morning. The first is, is Jesus in your dining room? You know, some of you come regularly, you come every week, but... There's a difference between waving at your neighbor across the yard and actually having dinner in his house. Do you just wave at Jesus every week or are you sitting and eating a meal with him, getting to know who he really is? And then if you do know Jesus in that way, if you do have that dining room relationship with Jesus this morning, then maybe this is the challenge you need to leave with this morning. Who else am I inviting into my dining room? Who else am I building relationships with? Who else is there that maybe as I pray for this person, I build this friendship, they may discover the same Jesus that I've discovered through this relationship that I have with them. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And um, the truth is, Lord, in this short series on relationships, we probably could have spoken for several weeks on every single one of these topics. But God, as important as it is to allow you to guide our relationships with one another, with our spouses, with our kids. Lord, I pray that no one would finish this series enjoying what they'd learned about relationships and missing the most important relationship there is on offer. And that is you, stood outside, knocking on the door, just waiting to be invited in to have a meal, to have that intimate dining room relationship. So God, I pray for everyone here this morning. I pray for those who come on a regular basis, but who maybe have yet taken that, that bold step of saying, I want to go from being just a, a member of the crowds to being a follower of Jesus. Lord, if that's someone here this morning, give them the courage to send the text, send the message, talk to a friend and say, what, what's it going to take for me to become a follower of Jesus? And Lord, help us not to become so comfortable in our relationship with you and in our church that we forget that outside of the walls of this building, even this morning, there are people in this community who don't yet know you. And while they may be looking happy on the outside, and while everything may appear to be held together, we don't know the brokenness and the hurt that's on the inside. And while we don't know every answer, Lord, we do know that you can be the answer. So help us to, to bring people to you, to draw people into that dining room relationship with you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.